Thank you for joining this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we strive to grow in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Pam Marvin. And I'm Megan Silas. It's good to be together again. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. We, so had a, we had a big, long episode last time. It was longer than the, what we yeah. usually do. But you, there was a lot fire, of... man. I'm fire. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to <laughs> well, it. Well, there's a lot of ground to cover. So yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah if you haven't listened to the one before this, uh, check it out. It's good. so great. But today, we're going to be talking a little bit about accompaniment. You gave a talk, and I want to hear that all about it. But before that, guess what? What? I have some great news for you. I'm excited. I want to hear your great news. I know. <gasps> Grandbaby number five is on the way. Ooh, who's preggers? <laughs> Lee, Rosie's oh, wow. mom. That's so I know. cool. We're very excited. But I have to say, their gender reveal gone awry. Okay, that's the name <laughs> of this short little story. So we weren't able to go up there because we had a very uh, busy weekend mm-hmm. with church happenings and et cetera. So we weren't able to go up there for the gender reveal. And so on Sunday, I just kind of texted her because I hadn't heard anything. I'm like, well, it's kind of strange. I hadn't heard anything. And she says, well, mom, we did the, the gender reveal and it said that it was a girl. And um, and then I went into my portal to find out, um, to look at it because mm-hmm. her friend had done that instead first, right? And went in there and there was only one child on there and it was a girl. So it was the one from their first child. And after it reloaded on Monday sometime, it came up with the real sex and it's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so cute. That's so funny. So I have a grandson on the way. So That's it's like exciting. pray for his safety and mama. She had a mm-hmm. very traumatic birth experience with the first one. So we're just keeping them in God's uh, mm-hmm. providential goodness and hands of the divine physician that all will be well for both of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. Is so she excited. nervous at all, or she? Feels she does not seem to be good. She's good. thrilled I'm to yeah. be having another baby. That's fun. Well, and I can say, having had a girl and a boy, it's a really good setup. Like uh, it worked out great. Uh, having that older sister and younger brother is just a really nice little complementarity. I there. can see that in their family yeah. as well, especially uh-huh. given the personality of the older sister. Yeah. She's just like a little spitfire. <laughs> I'm curious, like how you feel about, um, finding out the gender. Some people are really don't want to know. And some people are much more ordered towards knowing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you guess what I am? I think you'd want to know. Oh, heck yeah. I want to know Yeah, because I want to know actually, because for me, when I, when I was having babies, it was really important to me to, um, make a relationship with that baby as soon as possible. And I didn't feel like I could completely bond with my baby until I could start calling him he and she instead of it. <laughs> like You know what I mean? And then yeah. I also picked names very early. Um, so I would call them by their name. Um, and so I found that that just for me was a, a beautiful way of really acknowledging the truth of this is a person inside me, a real person who is a boy or a girl and who has a name and who is loved. And so I just, it really helped me for, as I was preparing to give birth to this child to form a a bond and a connection even before they were born. Okay. So what about me? What do you think? Find out or not find out? You know, I feel like this might be a conversion for you. Like, I feel like you would have maybe started out, not find out, and then like became a find out. Interesting. Okay. So that is mostly true. I did not find out with my two first ones. I found out with my third. They said it was a girl because back then we didn't mm-hmm. have the genetic testing. It was just all from ultrasound. Right. right? Yeah. And 
then I didn't I didn't find out with the last two because mm. they got number three wrong. So the one time <laughs> I went to go find out, you were duped, <laughs> and I had, was more of the I want to do it old school. I mm. want the the day of to be the gender reveal because I thought right. that excitement was so beautiful, mm-hmm. which it is. I I have no like preference for. Mm. I love finding out with my kids. That's really kind of mm. nice to know what they're having, and we always give them nicknames. We never called them it. Well, that's good. Nugget, yeah. peanut. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the last grandchild, a uh, baby girl that was born in May, she was Puppins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a kind of a funny admission with my daughter, my first child. Um, I was reading a lot of uh, novels that were set in the highlands of Scotland. Um, I'm embarrassed to admit I was reading the Diana Gabaldon uh, uh, Outlander series. Yeah, yeah. It's well written. Yeah, pre-conversion me. There's a lot of not so good stuff in there. But anyway, um, so I was super into the Scottish thing. And so I would every now and then call my little baby (laughs) the wee fiend. (laughs) Like like whatever whatever she was just causing trouble, like, you know, making me feel like I had uh, an upset stomach. Or my daughter, she got hiccups a lot in utero. And... She invariably would have hiccups right when I was trying to go to sleep. Exactly. And that's when she, oh, yo, yo wee fiend. <laughs> you know, and to this day, Kate still gets the hiccups a, a lot. lot. Yeah. It? Yeah. And Robbie no never doubt. had him. And I don't think I've ever, se- I've seen maybe him have the hiccups once or twice in his entire life. That's so crazy. Isn't that funny? That is. Yeah. That's, that, that happens. Yeah. They the person, have their little they nature. They come out with the par- personality that, that's yeah. God given them, right? When they're born. It is true. For sure. I, I use the, the, the word with mine a lot of times is um, a little hummingbird. Aww. Like they were just sucking mm. out the, all the nutrients and food <laughs> and everything because I was so hungry all the time. Right. That's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Okay, so uh, how this topic came about. Um, Interestingly, Pam was actually with me at the Trace when I got a call from um, one of the individuals that works for the Cana Family Institute uh, in the Houston area um, about giving a talk to folks who are kind of trainers for people who facilitate the groups uh, about accompaniment. And the idea of accompaniment is, is, I think, become... In some circles, very popular, and then in a lot of places, like, completely unknown. I feel like this, there was a stage where this idea of mentorship and things was a little more popular, but I feel like you don't hear about mentorship much anymore, which is really a sad thing because the reality is, is that we're called to walk shoulder to shoulder, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, you know, this seemed like a perfect little talk to do. Um, as a spiritual director, you know, as a person who that the ministry that I'm involved in is really simply that is accompanying people and, and walking with them as they discern God's will in their lives. And so since this show is so much ordered towards walking together and everything, we thought it'd be kind of fun to revisit this little talk that I did. Okay. And so I really kind of framed it less as a talk and more as a meditation Ah. because what I did was I based it completely on Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus and using Jesus as an example of accompaniment. So that's what we're going to do. Pam actually hasn't heard my talk. No. So, 
I'll bring the stuff that, you know, I have already pondered and spoke about in this little talk. And it'll be interesting to see what you come up with, uh, you know, in your own sort of fresh way of looking at this passage Mm. through the lens of accompaniment. I'm ready. All right. So uh, this passage is in Luke chapter 24, and I'll read uh, verses 13 to 33. And for folks who really like to know what translation, I'll be reading from the RSV translation. All right. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it was now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that he had even seen a, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So accompaniment. So the first thing that really stuck out at me when I read this is the idea that Jesus drew near. There's a choice that happens it's not the disciples' choice. They're just going along their way, talking. Jesus has chosen to enter into this conversation, this encounter that they're having with each other. He's decided to be part of their encounter. And that interest is what I would, you know, really think of as the entry point to accompaniment. You actually have to choose to care about what is going on with somebody. And make that step to enter in. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I'm having that imagery re- really go into my mind about um, I have kind of like 
God's presence with us all the time and being in that awareness that he is there. But I'm seeing then you putting us in the situation of imitating Christ Mm -hmm. to enter into that accompaniment, um, to be near, to draw near. It's quite beautiful. So I was looking at it a little different direction. I was Uh looking at it from the standpoint of the the two men walking on Uh the road as Jesus comes to approach, you know, Mm -hmm. so he enters, but they allowed him in. That is true. That's a good point. And so that in that sense, there's that idea of a certain reciprocity, right? Where, you know, one steps in and the others receive. And so you can't force accompaniment on somebody else. If they don't want you to walk with them, you're not meant to be walking with them no matter what your desire is. And now you can always keep that hand open in case a person changes their mind Mm -hmm. about whether or not they would like to engage with you. But, you know, it has to be something that's freely chosen, not something that's imposed. So when I just like kind of do a little one step away to Mm -hmm. frame this accompaniment talk too, in the ways that it may happen or appear in our lives. Okay. Okay. The real practical way, you know me, Mm -hmm. like my practical stuff. One way would be accompaniment. um, Say like I would accompany my coworkers who are not of the Catholic faith or not much of a faith, you know, how do I accompany them? Mm-hmm. So that's one way to always keep in mind, which would be always bringing Christ to them. Another would be like in your case, when you are a spiritual guide, mm-hmm. right. And accompany your directees, but then yet another would be like our family members and how mm-hmm. do we accompany them um, in the faith? And we're all talking about accompaniment in the faith, correct? Right. Let's make that clear. Yeah, I mean, we can, I think everything we do as Christians should be in the faith, Yeah. no matter what we're doing, right? right. And so yes, that's an important our thing. Our lives to, should be springboards of virtue. And, and, and integrated, right? Like there's no, I don't segment. I'm still trying. Yeah, I don't I'm segment. I'm working on it. Yeah, my Christianity, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my Christian thing over here, but when I'm doing this role, I'm, it's my Christian thing doesn't come in. No, yeah. the Christian thing comes in everything. Let there be no duplicity within you. Amen, yeah. amen. One of the things I think it is important to remember, though, when we are in a situation where you're called to a company, but you've been, say, assigned or that you haven't had any choice in the matter, like in the sense of, like, say you step into something where you get a group of people and you didn't have anything to do with selecting them. I think it's important to make a conscious choice to choose them, Mm. you know, to just like, well, you know, these are the people I got stuck with. No, choose them. Because the reality is Jesus chose these disciples. Exactly. You know, he, he said, I'm going in to these two. Right. So I have another way of looking at that. Okay. Um, a little different perspective. So real world analogy is my husband and I are actually joined the group Alpha at our okay. church uh-huh. where we're table leaders for about um, two, four, six other people. So there's eight of us at the table. And before going in there, I do the abandonment of divine providence. You know how much I love that mm-hmm. idea that this is exactly who God wanted at my table. These people are exactly who God wants me to meet and encounter today and to love them where I am and where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's really good. And you say, it's a beginning, you can then yeah. say, I, God chose them for me and I choose them too. Mm-hmm. Like to make that act of the conscious will oh, that, that you're, you know, you're not but, just, but I, you know, one of my big mantras is I love your will above all things. And so yeah, but then you want to go to I that. I want pl- it to be that unitive will. Yeah. Well, the unitive says 
I acknowledge this is at your will and I choose it for my will as well because he wants you to use your free will, right? He doesn't want you to just be a, a slave. He calls oh, you friend. I still try to bind it to his. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that. We'll, we'll talk. We'll, okay. maybe we'll, obviously, we need to have to talk about free will, a show about <laughs> free will coming your way before too long. All right. So moving on, one of the things I think is beautiful about it is obviously Jesus is entering into this scene and Jesus knows all things, like literally knows yeah, all things. I'm glad you're bringing this up. But questions. he doesn't just immediately start preaching at him, teaching him, revealing it all to him. He actually starts with a question. Yes, he does. What is this conversation which you're holding with each other as you walk? So he's taking that interest that he began with by stepping into the circumstance and then he's deepening it. Mm -hmm. He wants to know their heart. What are you talking about? You know, right. Even though he knows, even though he, but he wants to hear it from them. Yeah. And that's how much we have. That's how the Lord accompanies us, right? Like he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear our prayers. He wants us to talk to him, even though he knows all things. And if we're going to image the Lord in our accompaniment, we need to be ready to listen. Listen. There's the word I was looking for. <laughs> right. Good listeners. Yes. Yeah. And and one of the things I will just say as someone who kind of accompanies people now on a regular basis as part of the work I do for the Lord, it's not just about listening in the sense of, okay, I'm just going to sit here and as you go on. There's a, there's a sense of what's called active listening. So you're listening, but you're listening intentionally. And what, what I'd say that we really should strive to listen to is the deep needs, desires, hopes, you know, fears, th those things within the person that are kind of leaking out in what they're talking about to really get a sense of where's their heart at? what are they struggling with or, or what are they joyful about to really mm -hmm. attend to those deeper places within the person. And that sometimes questions can help draw those out, but you really need to be attentive to what they're saying and those places that are the, the deeper places. Right. And I think this passage really speaks to that because they're like, Oh, you know, didn't you know all the stuff that's going on? Right. And, but then I think the line that is so important after they describe all the stuff that happens, they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah, the reason I'm pausing is because he said something before that, that I thought for what? sure you were going to jump okay, on what? too. And that is, what are you speaking of? Right. What and that's things? the question. Yeah. He's what things, but he knows these things, which right. I always thought was very fascinating why he would like prompt them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again. He knows them because they happened to him. That's right. <laughs> right. Which I find is interesting and also a, a really telling way for us to, to behave in a way that to get people to talk mm -hmm. and to yeah. listen well is to do those kind of prompting, prompting and open-ended. Yeah. yeah. Not mm -hmm. leading. He's just, you know, whatever. But I think that it, it pivots here because we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And so they're acknowledging we're confused. 
we, this thing that we had hoped that this was the Messiah doesn't seem to be true now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but then they go on and they tell about, you know, now it looks like he's risen from the dead and well, what's all going on. And this is all confusing. And so this is all coming on. But when Jesus finally speaks, he speaks to that hope. Read that part again. What does he say? So, well, he, he maybe is a little bit more harsh than we should be when we're, <laughs> when we're accompanying, but you know, he's the Lord, so he can, he can have a little bit more uh, forcefulness. But when he finally speaks after they explain that, uh, you know, the women saw him, but they didn't see him. And so they're, you know, he, he, he interjects and he says, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Mm. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So his first words are, y'all, he is the Christ. You were misunderstanding what the Christ was going to look like. And now you're disillusioned, but let me help you understand, you know? And so this point of, you come in with your knowledge, but the knowledge that's specific to the need. Sometimes it's tempting when you're, when you're in a position where maybe you're more learned, well-read, catechized, whatever, to just like spew all that you know, right? To just kind of like get on a whole like diatribe of all the stuff that just in a way almost to even prove your knowledge. But when you're a company you really should limit instruction to the needs of the person in front of you. And that you, yes, you may generalize so that they can understand their circumstances in a way that goes beyond their personal experiences, but never forgetting the individual heart and soul that you have in front of you. And that that's what's important to you right then to speak to what they're seeking, what they're needing, the confusion that they have, and that your speech is ordered towards their needs, not your, you know, breadth of knowledge, right? Exactly. So I think that's so cool how Jesus just, you know, then he goes and he interprets, he goes through the scriptures and all things concerning himself because their interest is in the Messiah. And so he brings them through. He's like, look, you know, this is what you could expect because this was said here and there's this, this type here and this, you know, promise of the Lord here. And there's, you know, I'm sure he like talked about Isaiah suffering servant, you know, just really kind of unpacked that all. So this place of instruction that's ordered towards the need and, and how Jesus really attends to, to their hearts there. And that, that takes some really good active listening, which I think is, is a, a virtue in of itself these days because so oftentimes our distraction due to social media and other things is terrible. So the art of listening, you know, I'm actually trying to watch lots of podcasts on (laughs) listening well. So Mm -hmm. I can see how that's just a lost art. And I include that in myself too, that I don't know that I listen well. So I'm working on it. Yeah. One of the things that really helps listen well, I believe is to actually care. Like when you really care about the person in front of you, you want to know their heart. You, you, it's important to you to understand how they're feeling, what they're saying. You know, it becomes much more compelling 
than if you're like, oh, there they go again. And then you just start yeah. drifting. I just have a horrible distraction problem because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can genuinely care, but then I find myself drifting, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So as it goes on, after he goes through all that, you know, the, the scripture tells us, well, they get near to the village and Jesus appeared to be going on, which I find really interesting. Like, so it, he would look like he was going to leave it at that. But then the, 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 the disciples say, Stay with us, um, you know, because it's it's getting towards the evening and the day is now far spent. And, you, you know, I can only imagine that it's not like just concerned for his safety or whatever, but he just, they want to hear more. I mean, they've found him compelling and they're opening up new ideas to him and they want him to, to remain. And so the thing I really gleaned from this, the fact that Jesus does stay and this idea of availability Mm. to another Mm -hmm. you know so often people can be like you know say you run into a friend you hadn't seen each other for a while or whatever and you get into a big chit chat session and you're like oh wow this has been great I have so enjoyed seeing you and talking to you again this has been awesome see ya and you're like that's it you don't continue to walk with the person or make yourself available to them with your time Mm -hmm. but the Lord was generous with himself. He stays with them at their request, you know, and we have to be available to the people we're willing to accompany. And that means sometimes being available at times that may be a little inconvenient or outside of the prescribed meeting time, Mm -hmm. you know, but if we really want to walk with somebody, sometimes the needs are going to happen at times that aren't, the most convenient or the times that we had planned on. Now that doesn't mean you can't have appropriate boundaries. You know, you know, if I had a directee that was like calling me and texting me all the time and, you know, at all hours of the day and stuff, I would, I would need to talk about that. You know, this is not the nature of the relationship and, you know, we really, I would really appreciate it if you would keep it to, you know, this times and uh, you know, that maybe you need to spend some time figuring some things out on your own without just constantly reaching out to me for an opinion or whatever. Fortunately, I haven't run into that issue. Uh, Actually, I find that people tend to be more concerned about engaging outside of the meeting times than they should be like this. Well, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to bother you. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is being like, it's not a bother. Mm-hmm. It's not a bother. If you, if you have something on your heart that you, you want to run by and, and everything, you know, I, I want to be present to you. Um, so we have to have a certain generosity of spirit if we're going to really accompany somebody. Right. And I think that obviously comes from, you know, just the Holy spirit and being very docile to the spirit mm-hmm. and calling, to, calling you in those moments, you know, when he calls you to that type of uh, leadership role, which he has in you, Megan, that, you answer the call to say yes as the best of your ability. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, okay. So then what happens now? The, the big reveal, right? So up until this point, you know, we got to remember they don't know they're talking to Jesus. He hasn't revealed himself, Mm -hmm. but then um, beautifully, which is such a strong image of the Eucharist. He makes himself known in the breaking of the bread. I remember the first time I read that, after my conversion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was in RCIA at the time, I think. Um, so I had already come to assent to the belief that Jesus was truly present in the Eucharist. And then I read that passage for the first time with that belief. 
I was like, oh my gosh, this is such the Eucharist. I can't believe I missed this. <laughs> you know, and it was a profound moment. Um, but the thing that I feel that it really elucidates in, as far as it relates to accompaniment is the willingness to reveal yourself to the other. Because one of the temptations when you feel like you're in the guiding role or you're in the role of teacher or whatever is to be like, well, I'm here for you, but I'm going to reserve every part of myself and I'm just going to try to be this perfect like example of a teacher or example of a guide or whatever. And I'm not going to really bring myself to it. But true accompaniment happens when you are accompanying as you. And there has to be a part of your uniqueness, the person God has created you as an individual to be, to be made known to the other. A certain amount of vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a vulnerability there. Absolutely. And I think people who are very self-conscious, very guarded, have a lot of walls are going to struggle to accompany well because they're always going to seem like this sort of cold, detached kind of eye in the sky sort of thing, as opposed to a really living, breathing, flesh and blood human being who cares about their life, you know? And sometimes you're, you know, in spiritual direction, it's not like a spiritual friendship where there's an actual equality and reciprocity that's, that's equal. Um, there is a, a difference there in that relationship where I don't reveal as much about myself as I would with a friend. But there are times where I will, you know, bring in an experience that I've had to elucidate a point or whatever. And I have to not be afraid to do that, to, to be able to, to be willing to share something within myself um, because it does help bring, build trust as well. Because if it's all vulnerability on one side and it feels like there's nothing on the other, it can feel very frightening that there's just this huge chasm. Yes, I actually had that experience with a spiritual guide once. Oh, well, tell me about it. Oh, let's make it our temperature temperature check. check. Okay, so I had been um, seeing someone for quite a few years, I want to say four or five years, so quite some time, um, made a lot of progress with her, but there came a point where I, I really realized that there was no vulnerability on her part mm-hmm. and it started to, to start to feel like, okay, this is the things that you're doing wrong. Oh, and, okay. um, mm-hmm. there was never disclosure, uh, you know, and it didn't bother me in the beginning. Um, but then when I would be in conversations with other people who had the same spiritual guide, they were revealing all these personal things that she was sharing and being very open with, with these other people. And I was like, but she's not that way with me. Mm -hmm. And so I started to like really question the relationship. Like it was already starting to feel, um, not a good fit Mm -hmm. in a way because of her lack of vulnerability with me. Right. Um, but then again, 
I think maybe she was tiring of me. Maybe I had too many troubles that she didn't like. <laughs> uh, I suppose that's conjecture. <laughs> it could be. Um, but I waited another year. Mm-hmm. I stuck it out because I didn't want to be like this sensual crybaby. Oh, this is just not working out. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to stick it out and just keep hammering through because it's not supposed to be easy all the time. All right. You know? Yeah. But after a year of discerning, I, I discerned it away from it. Yeah, because I can see how if someone's regularly pointing out you know, you could improve here. Or you, you know, you, you seem to be, you know, falling short here, this sort of thing where they aren't revealing any of their own vulnerabilities, their own, their own struggles. Mm-hmm. It could seem like just judgment, you know, that, that yeah. they're sitting in a judgment seat. It, vulnerability does lend itself to a more egalitarian relationship where you, you have this sense of this person doesn't necessarily think they're any better than me. They're just, you know, walking alongside me and, and it can help with that, um, to be honest about those situations. Like for example, um, you know, I have a couple directees who, oh my goodness, I see myself in so much, (laughs) you know, like some of them are totally different than me. And I'm sitting there like thinking, wow, I would relate. (laughs) I would never come up with that. (laughs) But you know, there's, there's a couple where I'm like, oh, I know the struggle and, you know, so sometimes because I so clearly know the struggle, I can speak into it in a way that's very insightful from self-knowledge. Right. Right. But I recognize that sometimes that feels a little bit like, um, what's the word I want to use? Kind of mind (laughs) reading, you know what I mean? To the other person, they're like, how did you know that? Mm. And that can be kind of freaky for a person to feel like, are you inside my brain? What's going on? So my self-revelation of saying, well, you know, I just want you to know that the reason that I conjectured that you might be feeling that is because I have really struggled in that area myself. And, and I, this is how I felt. And I thought perhaps you might be feeling the same thing. And so it can help them not feel like, Am I just so readable or am I just so like typical or something that I'm just, it makes it, it humanizes it. And and then the person feels like, okay, not only is she willing to share her vulnerability, but she actually can understand something that maybe I didn't realize that she could understand because I find that sometimes when you are in the role of, a director, spiritual director, or, you know, you're somebody who gives talks or whatever, there's this assumption that you've got it all figured out and that the stuff that you're talking about, you're just like living perfectly. When the reality is most of the stuff I go on about, I'm going on about it because I'm like, kind of like, girl, get it together. You need to do this stuff. Like you need to live this stuff. And I'm trying to encourage myself and exhort myself as, as much as I'm trying to, you know, communicate with somebody else, but they're not going to know that. If I can't say, and I'm saying this because I struggle with it, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think the, now obviously (laughs) the Lord isn't struggling with sin, but he does make a self gift and he reveals himself as himself at the end of this scene. And I think that's a beautiful, yeah, it's such a message to us that that we're called to reveal ourselves as well. I like that. It's a vulnerability all of itself. Right. So in the summary, the things that at least I came to was you need to show interest and really choose the people 
of your own free will mm-hmm. that you're going to accompany that you need to, sh- in that interest, you need to go deeper, ask the questions, keep them open ended, listen for their heart. And then when you do move into places of instruction, make it ordered towards the needs of the other and not just your need to talk. Mm. Oh, amen to <laughs> you that. know, and mm. then be available even when it's maybe not at the times that you expected. Be a good listener. Yeah. I know I'll, there's times when I'm listening to a friend and, you know, I can kind of hear between the words, you mm-hmm. know, and say, yeah. well, you know, kind of what I'm hearing is. Right. Does that resonate with you kind of thing? Yeah. So, so the listening aspect, I think, is just so vital. Yeah. And I, that comes to being available, not just with your time, but also with your deep attention. Mm-hmm. Really be available to them in your, in your heart and in your mind when you're, when you're listening to them. And then finally, be willing to make a self-gift, to be vulnerable uh, in the interaction so that the person can understand that you're really bringing yourself to that and not just playing a role. Mm -hmm. So we thank the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, the Lord of our lives for this beautiful witness of accompaniment. We ask him for the grace to accompany others in a way that's worthy of his name, worthy of the name Christian. And we thank you all for listening and we hope that you will share it if you are so moved and uh, we hope that you will come back next time. And until then, remain united with us in prayer. God bless. God bless. God bless.